0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Earlier this morning in our particular connection group, we talked about how that we were all in the mind of God before we were born. In that God has divinely designed us and made us uniquely us or uniquely you. And so when we were born, he knew that we would be born with what is known as a sin nature. And with that nature, as we began to grow and develop, we then sin. So we sin by nature and we sin by choice because of who we are. Now that sounds pretty horrible, and it is. But on the other hand, God says that you were still in my mind before you were born. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to rescue you out of that situation because as a sinner when you die you'll spend eternity separated from me but i made you I didn't make you to die and go to hell i i made you to die so that you could fulfill a wonderful plan that i have for you that'll bring glory to me so he says i'm going to do the ultimate i'm going to go to the cross and when i go to the cross and hang there Upon my death and the blood that I'd shed, I'm going to take all your sin on myself and I'll die and I'll rise again from the dead to show you that I have power over death. I have power over that sin. I have power over hell. I have power over Satan, that I am the great I am. And he did all of that. And so he's paid your sin debt. He paid your sin ticket, so to speak, so you could go to heaven. And so now to be part of that eternal plan... He then brings a messenger to you with that message of salvation. So sometimes you could hear it from the pulpit or a friend or a gospel track or perhaps some other way. But somehow the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone is brought to you. And then he also works in your heart because you're in his mind and he wants you to be a part of him. So he does all the work, brings the message, he brings conviction to you and gives you all that's necessary right then for you to place your faith in Christ. Now, there's also a a force against all that, which is Satan. And his desire is to keep the message from you or to muddy the message when he gives it to you or to do something to keep you from trusting Christ, even to the point of thinking that maybe to get into heaven or to God's family, I got to do some social deeds or Christian spiritual things. And all that's wrong. And he said, all you have to do is to believe that I died and rose again. That's the fact. That's the truth. And then to fully place your faith alone in that for the full forgiveness of sin, and you can have everlasting life. Now that's how we have that relationship with him, and everything opens up to a purpose and plan and all of it. But part of all of the plan that he has for our life, though, realizes that we are not living on a desert island all by ourselves. that we connect with other people. And he recognizes that because we are around other people, and frankly, almost every day, whether we do it on the telephone or an email, or actually encounter someone, that we're going to meet, as Florence Littauer says, irregular people. People that somehow are sandpaper people in our life. They kind of sand us the wrong way. And unfortunately, probably at times, we are sandpaper people to them. And we sand them the wrong way as well and hurt them. And here's a very important truth that we need to remember. That while we want to have a right relationship with God upward, he is expecting out of us to deal properly with people outward so that if we're not right with people outward, then we can't ever be fully right with him upward. That doesn't mean we can't get to heaven, but it does mean that we won't have that intimacy with the Lord that we want and he wants us to have until we settle some of the issues with other people. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm willing to do that, but the problem is those other people are really coming against me. It's their problem. Well, probably that's true. We can't correct every person's personality that will scratch us the wrong way, rub us the wrong way, but we can do this. We can, by the power of the Lord, we can then to begin to respond properly to them. So this message is really on how to get along better with other people. Now, as I look back over my past week, I can tell you that I've met some wonderfully delightful people in my life that have done way beyond the call of duty to make me feel comfortable, accepted by them, even loved by them. And then frankly, I've met some pretty irregular people in my life. Some of those people that uh, are really not so delightful after all. You might even call them difficult people. I've met some very inspiring people. And then I've met some very interesting people that might be even irritating. How many of you, in the course of this last week, have met someone in your life that was very, very delightful? You enjoyed being around them, and you better look at your mate, okay? All right, how many of you have been around someone that's been very um, difficult to be with? And I know you look back at your mate, because it does happen, but all right, you see how we've been around those people. But what we want to do, let's now humble ourselves for a moment. Instead of blaming the other people for why our world stinks, let's just for a moment say, Lord... Would you teach us something, not what that other person should be doing too, but more, what am I willing to do by allowing you to change me from the inside out on these particular areas? And so I want to talk today about how to get along better with others from God's book, the Bible, because it is his manual on how he designed us to really live life to the fullest. Now, if you will, look at the verse that I have there for you. Here's what you read. It says, Now the fruit of the righteous is sown in peace, by those who make peace. Now, frankly, folks, I know that throughout the day, the words that I say or don't say, or how I say them, the time, tone, technique, and how I adjust to other people, that I'm really sowing seeds around them. I could sow seeds of anger, jealousy, bitterness. I could sow seeds of sarcasm, condemnation, criticism. But at the same time, I also could be sowing seeds of honesty, decency, integrity, words of grace, words of comfort, words of peace, words of affirmation. So throughout the day, what's coming from my lips, by my body language and by my words, could be seeds that are planted. Now the real question is, since that is happening, and God wants us to sow seeds of peace, then how do we do that? It comes from one word, it's the word wisdom that once we have God's wisdom inside of us and flowing out from us then we're going to be wise in our relationships and our relationship building processes with other people. So it comes on wisdom. Wisdom is not just more knowledge I have. So it's not just how much you know. You know there are a lot of people it seems like they know a lot about the Bible. They might even know some of the Bible in its original languages. But yet at the same time, you're around them, and they're so critical, they're so uppity, they're so pious, piffle, spiritual, that they really do not encourage you in certain ways. And so it's not how much you know, it's how much what you know accurately you live out for God's glory, loving others with great peace. And so it's really born on wisdom. I want to say two things about wisdom. From this passage, wisdom is also a lifestyle. So it's more than just the words you say. It'll be the life that you live. Look at the passage again, and it says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let that person show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So would you circle the word good works? So wisdom is really tied up in what you do. Now, what you do is is also what you say and how you say it and the deeds that you do or the deeds that you don't do. So it is basically, simply, a lifestyle. It's how you live your life. And so once you decide that you want the wisdom of God to flow out through you, then you're going to begin to sow the seeds that will make peace with other people. All right, here's the second truth about wisdom. The lack of wisdom causes problems. Most of you know that besides speaking in the Christian arena, that there are times that I've been invited to speak in what we call the business community. And sometimes when I'm asked to come in, I'm asked to speak on such issues as conflict resolution, team building, and how to make the group work better together. In doing some research, I came across a study that was done by Harvard University. And once I give you these statistics, I think most of you probably will agree to it, though you never realized it. Harvard University did a study on problems that people have in the secular arena and here's the statistic that they had given and I'm going to quote the statistic. It said that for every one person who lost their job because of a skill set inadequacy two people lost their jobs just because they couldn't get along with their fellow workers, whether it's upline supervisors, downside people that are under them, or fellow workers. So not having wisdom can really cause problems. I'm finding now that when I'm asked to go into Christian organizations or businesses that are Christian designed or churches, that I'm finding that a lot of the conflict is not over theological issues as it is so much over relational issues. So churches that are really struggling, plateauing, paralyzing, or people are leaving, is because somewhere along the line, they have lost God's sense of the biblical principles for how to get along with one another. So not having wisdom, which is the source from God that provides us the skill set to be able to get along better with others, that's what's really bringing the downfall. How many of you live in a family where that you almost dread when dad or husband comes home from work because with him it's like fee-fi-fo-fum, you know, he's coming in. He doesn't know how to get along with one another. How many of you others don't want to go home because when you go home, you know that when you arrive at home that it is not a safe place for you emotionally or socially or relationally? And how many of you work in an environment where that you almost don't want to go to work tomorrow because you know that it's a hellacious environment where people just seem to be nipping at each other. And you struggle with that. Well, I believe I, in some measure, could almost talk to everyone that's here. Well, God does give us a solution. And I'm just going to submit from this passage alone, six If you just embraced one, you'd be one step further than you were before. If you did two, you'd be closer. And if you could get all six, just think how far along all of us would be, because we all struggle with these. So let's look at now some characteristics from this passage of Scripture of a wise person and how that they can have a healthier relationship with other people. So we're going to take a wisdom test. And here's number one. If I'm wise, I will do this. I will not compromise my integrity. Now that works in anything that we do, but if you really look at integrity, integrity is something where we have a failure in our integrity, it will affect people in some measure, obviously if they find out about it. But when you have an integrity breakdown, what generally happens next is you have a trust breakdown when you have a trust breakdown then you have a respect breakdown and finally then you have what is known as a communication breakdown let me say that again when you have an integrity breakdown when in other words a person cannot trust what you're saying then they can't trust you if they don't trust you then they don't have the level of respect for you if they don't respect you as well then they have very little things about which they can converse with you other than maybe the weather because that's pretty safe and maybe double coupons over the grocery store that's pretty safe but have a heartfelt, deep relationship where it's getting closer and closer and closer together, it falls apart. I guess one of the objectives that I have is not only to not have an integrity breakdown with you all because I want to have a ministry in your life, and once that happens, I lose my effectiveness. But I would like to know that by the time the Lord calls me home or I retire, that I would be receiving even more respect from my own staff when I leave than when I first came so that it would continue to grow more and more and more. Look at 1 John chapter 3, all speaks about that integrity. When you go a little bit further in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9, it says this, He who walks with integrity walks securely. And so when I know that we're telling the truth and we're not putting a spin on it, when we are honest people, then we can walk in a great amount of confidence. Two books in the Bible are known as wisdom books. One book is James, New Testament, the other book is Proverbs. So those of you that are wanting to work on your integrity, let me encourage you, if you're looking for a place to begin, open up this very easy-to-understand book of the Bible called Proverbs. And as you read it, don't speed-read it. Don't even try to read a chapter a day like sometimes is recommended. I encourage you to take just one verse. Park your mind and emotions on that one verse and take ownership of that one verse and allow that verse to begin to change you from the inside out so you won't have an integrity breakdown. Now, how many of you know you have a shallower relationship with someone else because you don't trust that other person, you don't respect them as much because you've lost confidence in that person and therefore you know that your relationship is surfacy and it's not as good as it should be? If that's the case, then you know the pain and the question you now ask yourself is simply this. Watch now. Watch. Not to criticize them for their integrity, failure, or breakdown, But ask yourself now. I know now what it feels like to be around someone I do not trust. Let me not be one that another person could not trust. Let me work on my own integrity. Lord, will you help me? I will not compromise my integrity so I can have a good relationship. Now let me speak to those of you where the Spirit of God is stinging you so painfully right now that you want to now deny it or blame someone else for your integrity breakdown. Stop right there for a second, stop. And at that very moment, say, yes, Lord, I know I've blown it. I have prevaricated around someone else. I've spun a story. I've not told the whole truth. I've given half truths. Own it for a moment, own it for a moment. At that moment, you take it to the Lord in full confession and say, Lord, here's what I've done. I have a propensity to not be truthful. I have a propensity to not tell the whole story. I have a propensity to spin a story in my favor. And so by your power, Lord, I know that I have a root of iniquity in that area. And so I'm confessing that. Now watch, when you confess it, God gives you grace. Isn't that great? But the grace is also the power to change. And so he cleans up your act, he gives you a do-over, and from this day forward, you can work on that integrity breakdown. It is true, you might be down in the basement with your integrity. But it is also true that given time and a track record of having integrity, you will be on an escalator elevator, lifting yourself up out of the basement, back into favor with the people that you're around. And that will build a better relationship with others. All right, test number two. If I am wise, I will not antagonize your anger. You know, there are some people that just know how to poke us in the eye, so to speak, with their words. Well, I wonder how many times I use words that come with a little bit of razor blade attached to it that might cut them a little bit, and I cause them some anger pain, we call it. Look at the verse that says this. But the wisdom that is from above is pure, has integrity, but then it's also peaceable. You see, wisdom loves peace. It does not like agitation. It doesn't like confusion. It doesn't like instability in a grind, So now I'm going to suggest to you three areas that you might want to work on specifically that might be causing you the kind of arguments that cause another person to kind of bristle with some anger or irritation. Let me give you three of them. Now you take ownership. Don't look at these as weapons to now shoot back at the other person who does it to you. You now look at it yourself and see what it might be. Here's number one, it's the word comparing. Some of the times that we cause anger in other people which then hinder a relationship is when we begin to compare them. I remember I got married, when Carol and I got married when I was 19. Uh, We were pure, young people, I want you to know that. And I do not recommend you to get married young. We just married young and stupid. I want you to marry older and mature and wiser. But as I got married, we had a wonderful support system. Because we went with a conscience that was clear from guilt, that gave us strength. We both were fully committed to Christ and we had been walking with God, even at that young age, for a long time. So with all the support, all the things right, we still, not we, I still did stupid things. I will never forget the time, I said to Carol, when she was making a meal. She was reared in a home where mom and dad worked in the same business together, so she had a model of mom and dad working together all day long, and a grandmother who did all the cooking. So Carol didn't know how to cook, but she wanted to learn how to cook, so she then cooked a meal for me. And you know, guys, you're already knowing what I did. That's not how my mother made that. I did it once. And she was so gracious, she just gave me the stink eye. (laughs) But the problem with the stink eye was, is that my personality at that time doesn't respond well to a look. I needed a two by four. And so finally, Carol had to get my attention. What was hindering our relationship is when I would say, that's not how my mother did it. That's not how my mother cooked it. Now I know this is kind of light and we're laughing about it now, but we weren't laughing about it then. But how many of you just recently compared yourself, your son with another player, your daughter with another girl, your wife with another woman, and it goes on and on and on even with you men. So I want you to know that comparing can really bring down a relationship. Here's the second word, it's the word condemning. The word condemning would be sounding like this, it's all your fault, you should be ashamed of yourself. In other words, we in essence want that other person to feel the pain of guilt. So you always, you never, you ought to, you should, you shouldn't. I want you to know that that is probably the biggest things that will dig underneath the foundation of any relationship. Obviously marriage, certainly a family, of course on a staff or on a job or a dating relationship or just a roommate. And so we need to be careful, first of all, of our comparing that person with someone else. The Bible says in Scripture clearly it's unwise. And then secondly that we wouldn't condemn the other person. When you condemn another person you are chipping away at that other person instead of building them up and the very thing you want is that person to be better. But unfortunately, subtly, Satan has got us to believe his lie in the secular worldview and we've chiseled them away from the very strength we wanted that person to have. All right, here's the third word, and it's the word contradicting. Contradicting. How do you like to be interrupted in the middle of you speaking when you say something and someone's got to correct you? It's painful when they do it privately, but it's horrifically painful when they do it publicly, when they're correcting you, contradicting you. James says, if you're wise, you don't sweat the small stuff, just let it go. You don't have to correct them on every little thing. Now, obviously, if your husband is looking out at the surf over here and he's driving off the cliff over there, you're going to say, hey, get that car back on the road. You know, but most of the times, most conversations and most days does not need that. Sometimes it's time for us to sprinkle a little bit of grace on that. So let's not be so contradicting. You know, Thursday when we went to the store, no, it was Friday. Remember when I wore that green dress? No, you wore slacks. Read my lips. That gets old real fast. All right, so number one, we want to make sure that we check our integrity. And that's a heart thing, not sin management. Uh, Secondly, we want to talk about how we add value to other people and be sure that we don't poke them and we bring out the anger. And then when they get angry, we point our finger back at them for their anger. And it might have just been us Let's scratch them first. All right, let's look at number three. If I am wise, I won't minimize your feelings. I won't minimize your feelings. But the wisdom that is from above is gentle. One translator wisely translated it, considerate. So it is gentle, but it's gentle based on an attitude of love. I, I consider your feelings. I consider who you are. It means mindful of the other person's feelings. There's a common mistake That if I don't feel the way you feel, then your feelings must be invalid or illogical. I, I went by that. That's pretty heavy. Let me slow down. If I don't feel what you feel, then that must mean that your feelings are invalid and illogical. Now, that's how the world thinks, and that's how some of us can think. But we need to be very, very careful that sometimes the same person might feel about something a little bit differently than you do. They might see things from another perspective than you might see it. So it might be good for us to talk about it a little bit. Here in Hawaii, we call it Ho'oponopono. A little bit of forgiveness, a little bit of time to sit down and talk and let the person explain when did you get hurt and how did it happen and how do you see the situation and what was going on at the time and what was involved. I promise you, that takes a lot of time, doesn't it? And our life is so fast, we don't do it. So, therefore, we don't take the time and our relationships really suffer because of it because we're running to the next event with our kids, the next movie or we're playing catch-up to something that was so trivial that got behind that we never had the time to really know the people around us, really know them, consider them, what makes them tick to really get to know them. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 4, it says... A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. That means it lasts long and there's multiple generations. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So we have to be very careful of how we deal with them. Think about their feelings. Maybe I could set up a scenario for you. Let's talk about the husband comes home. And as he arrives at the house... He comes in and he says oh my day was just horrible today my boss didn't like me the traffic was bad the air conditioning quit on the car now I'm not talking about guys you can't whine wives you'd be wise to let your husband unload on you than some other lady on the other hand then the wife comes back and then she says you don't know about my day our son just took the cat and tried to flush it in the commode and now it doesn't work over here All of a sudden, everybody is complaining about everybody else and not really consider it. If you don't mind, gentlemen, I'm going to speak to us guys for a second. I know that when we get married, our wives should be our helpmate, and we look to them for our physical support, our emotional support. But biblically, the Bible equates us to Jesus Christ, not the church. And Jesus Christ took the highest road. And he said that he gave himself up for the church. So whatever bad day he had, he gave all that up and took it on himself so that he then can come to us as the church in our bad day. He took all our sin amidst all of his problems. He took all on himself and he died and rose again. So we husbands and you boys that are here, God made you a boy. Someday it's likely that you'll be married. And even if you're not, in some measure, you'll probably be a leader of influence. Then like Christ no matter how bad your day is, don't deny it, but you be the one to take the highest road. Take that problem to the Lord right then. Say, Lord, I'm giving you my day, frankly Lord, you permitted this in my day, so that I could go to you for more strength, grace, wisdom, compassion, and the ability to see you do wonderful things in my attitude, doesn't change my day, but it changes me from the inside out, so that my tank is filled. So when I then drive in to my house, then my kids are going to talk about their broken toys, And there are relationships that are suffering and my wife is really hurting for whatever reason that I'm there to be the one who can take that on me. Now, guys, I know you're saying, I didn't sign up for this. I know you didn't. But I don't think there's any more intimate relationship that a human being could have than you as a man could have with the Lord, knowing that you're the most like Christ when you're doing that.